0: Welcome to episode four of the Pat McCormick podcast. I'm Patrick McCormick, and today I'm very lucky and very happy to be talking to two-time Northeast Conference Coach of the Year, who just picked up his 150th win this year at St. Francis, Head Coach Glenn Branca. Glenn, thank you so much for talking to me.
1: Thanks for having me, Patrick.
0: Coach, we'll go right into this year, and it was a challenging year for everyone around Division One and all the divisions in basketball. How do you feel the year went for your team?
1: Uh, you know it was an interesting year. Um, we, we got a late start, um, uh, strung some practices together, then then played two games in like 37 days and then 11 games in twenty two days. So it was it was pretty challenging for the kids. I thought they did a good job of hanging in and staying focused and, and finishing up the year uh, pretty well.
0: You mentioned that gap in games. How do you make sure your kids are prepared for game day when there is such a long period of time without the games being played? You know, it's hard.
1: You, you, you really don't know. It's, it's a guessing game. It's, uh, you try to have good practices. Um, I thought we were in a pretty good groove, and then we got shut down uh, with a false positive about a week before we started up again. Uh, I thought that kind of threw us off for a while, and then we got back uh, and got back in, in the flow. You know, maybe a week later, it started playing pretty well.
0: Do you take any bright spots from this year?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I thought the kids, uh, you know, did a good job. I thought we had some guys develop and get better and really improve as players from the previous year. I thought um, some of the new guys did very well. Um, And I I thought we we had some really good wins. And, uh, you know, it's just a strange, strange year. Um, but, but I thought all in all, the kids did a pretty good job.
0: How was it on the road? Because normally you would travel, take a bus trip out, have a team meal. The kids will stay in the hotel. You have another meal, go to a shoot around. I'm assuming the road wasn't the same because you wanted to keep the kids away from catching the COVID
1: virus, correct? Yeah, it was a little different. Um, you know, we usually eat our team meals together uh, or, or go out. Needed it together, so we had to get, like, individual meals and just deliver it to their rooms, and they kind of just never left their rooms. They kind of stayed in there, ate whatever. Um, there wasn't much preparation between game one and game two of the back-to-backs because, you know, you were limited in, in space and where you could meet and things like that. There were no shoot-arounds. Uh, you really didn't get to, to walk through on the other team's court or shoot uh, day of either game, so it, it was a little different. It was a little different.
0: Now, one of the things I look up to you for is your messages after the games, and it, I forget it was one of the losses you had towards the end before you guys got hot the end of the year. And you're talking about it's teaching the kid not only about basketball but the life lesson of just pushing through things because the second you give up, people really don't feel sorry for you. For life, you just need to keep keep on persevering and all. How important do you feel like that message is for student athletes and even people going through this tough time?
1: Well, look, successful people learn to deal with adversity. Um, Nobody in life gets things, you know, their way all the time. And you're going to have to deal with some disappointment. You're going to have to deal with some failure. You're going to have to deal with some tragedies. Uh, One of the things I like about coaching is everything on the court relates off the court. And I still think, you know, we want to win as many games as we can and be successful. But I think our biggest success is in teaching these people to be good people when they leave here and successful people. And, and successful people and good people, they don't give in to, to disappointment, to adversity. It, it makes them stronger and they find a way to be, you know, to get through it and, and come out of it in good shape.
0: You guys ended the year on a groove, like I mentioned before. What was going right going into the end of the
1: year? You know, I just think we got a little rhythm with regard to the games. Uh, playing some games Uh, we had a you know it's hard when you only play you know five I think we played five games up until what was it two three five games I believe or seven games up until like January 30th and then we had a stretch of 11 games in 22 days so I think we found our rhythm with regard to playing in games Um, I think the difficult part for for us was you know some of those back-to-backs and some of those games you know in a in a very tight amount of time and uh, we weren't always good in the back-to-backs you know the second day we were much better in the first day so but I thought we really started to play well offensively and we found our rhythm Uh, we had some limitations defensively we weren't normally were normally we are a very good defensive team and we've struggled in the past on on offense but always have found a way to to win but this year it was probably our best offensive team since I've been here and we had some guys who could score and some guys who could really pass the ball. Um, but we, we did struggle defensively. We played a lot of small ball. We didn't have much rim protection. Um, but we, I thought the kids, you know, found, found a way to play to their strengths. And I thought some guys stepped up as the year went on, and, and we had some success.
0: How do you feel a year like this year, a different year, could help you going towards next year? where I assume most of the guys that will return, and the year will be
1: closer to a normal season. Well I, I look forward to having a postseason and a preseason. Um, we really didn't have that this past year. you know once the season was over last year, we really didn't have our postseason program you know with the, the weightlifting, the conditioning, the, the pickup, the individual work. Um, and then we really didn't have a preseason uh, even with regards to some conditioning. We didn't start that until you know late, you know late September, early October. Um, We got interrupted, Um, so I I do look forward to to being able to instill some of the things that we like to instill over the course of time with with the postseason and the preseason.
0: Just going back to your 10-year career at St. Francis, how has that ride been for you?
1: Well, it's been fun. You know, it's a place that I know very well. I was an assistant here for a long time, Uh, went to St. John's, and then came back as the head coach. We've had some success. Uh, you know, and, and we, we I've had the opportunity to coach great guys and guys have gone on to to be really good people. And that's probably what I'm most proud of. Um, you know, we, we, I think we've done OK. Uh, we, we obviously want to win the whole thing and get to the NCA tournament. Uh, I think, you know, you got to build towards that every day, but you need a little luck with that as well. And, um, you know, eventually it'll happen but we just got to keep working at it and grinding every day and try and put the right pieces together to get, get to where we want to go.
0: Been you're an assistant for 14 years at St. Francis. Now you're the head coach and kind of reverse roles. You're the assistant for Ron gambling. Now he's your assistant. How has that relationship been And in, in the flip flop roles? How's that for you?
1: Well, it's great. You know, Ronnie, Ronnie, uh, I was his assistant for a long time at St. Francis. We have a great relationship. Um, you know, he's at a point in his career and his life where I think he likes the role that he's in. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate to have someone like that, that I'm so close to and who's helped me throughout my career uh, to be along with us, you know, for the ride.
0: look at St. Francis, it's such a unique place to watch a game compared to other Division One gyms, but it's a great home court advantage. Do you have any favorite games that you've coached in that gym?
1: Probably the craziest game I coached in and (laughs) one of the most fun was I I can't believe there's been a better game played in in the history of college basketball in New York City. We played LIU when I was an assistant and Ronnie got thrown out of the game. Uh, And I took over the the team about, I guess, midway through the first half. And the game was incredible. It ended, I believe, 142 to 140. Uh, We won. Uh, There was a buzzer beater, you know, to put the game into one of the overtimes. uh, And it was just an incredible atmosphere, unbelievable game. Uh, And that that probably sticks out most, you know, of all the games. Um, You know, we've had so many, so many Great battles with, with our different rivals, but that game was was just different. That was I remember walking off the court at halftime. I think the score was sixty-six sixty. And I looked up at the scoreboard and I said, This isn't this is gonna be one of those crazy games. And I was right. It was nuts. We made a great comeback at the end. We were down a lot. And the kids were playing hard defensively, but they just couldn't guard each other. And it was up and down. It was just incredible
0: look at St. Francis and that family atmosphere and I think it's really cool going to games because your wife Christine's at every game and then I get to meet some of your friends who are very involved in the New York City basketball community. What's that like having your wife at every game and all your friends with the family and friend atmosphere just coming to support you at home?
1: Well, it's nice being home and being able to coach in Brooklyn, you know, having grown up there and and, uh, you know, we may not have the amenities that some schools have, but You know, like you said, it's a family atmosphere. It's a very close-knit community. And uh, you get some characters at our games, which is good. too. it is a lot of excitement. And uh, we've always had some great crowds and some fun. And we've had a really good home record there since, since I started, especially the last couple of years. This year wasn't as good. I don't know if that's due to the lack of fans, but we really took a step back at home. We played much better on the road this year than we did at home. Uh, but in the previous three years, we had a ridiculous record at home, which I think is a tribute, attributed in some way to the, the people that come to the games and, and provide the atmosphere.
0: And then just a couple other questions about St. Francis. I feel like no matter where you guys are in the standings, you always are prepared to play the opponent you have. What is that atmosphere, though? If I mean, what is that attitude other than things may be going bad, things may be, be going good, but always being ready for those – 40 minutes of battle, no matter where you are in the standings and how your season's going?
1: Well, you have to be. It's Division One basketball. Nobody takes a night off. You know, I always tell people, people who don't coach and don't play don't really understand it. It's hard to win one possession. Forget about winning a game. You know, It's hard to stop a team once, to, to score on a team once. So there's a lot that goes into this that the, the general public doesn't understand. You know, unless you've really coached or played, uh, at this level, you probably don't really have a great understanding of that. But, you know, the kids put a lot into it. We put a lot into it. Uh, there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. There's, there's you know, there's some decisions you have to make as, as to how hard you go, how much you beat them up, how much you you back off, you know, leading up to a game. Um, there's scouting reports. There's, there's so many things that go into it. But I, I think generally our guys have been taught to, to come to play and, and to give an effort every day. Uh, again, it relates to real life. When they leave here and they get a job, there's no days off, you know? If you, don't, you take a day off in your job, you get fired. So um, we try to teach them to be successful, uh, to be people who will take care of their families once they leave here and, and no matter how difficult things get and, and to not make excuses and not to give in to anything
0: on that family atmosphere, you have uh, Alex and someone you coached on the staff. Jamal walmack has been in the program. What's it like coaching with some of your former players or former players who have gone through the St. Francis programs?
1: Well, you can't always do that. But generally, I think it's a good thing when you have people that, that have, number one, been through it and know what it's about, who know what you're about, who know what your values are, your work ethic. Uh, things like that I I think that's important to have people like that you need people who are loyal who are going to be good examples and role models for the for the players you can't have people telling the kids one thing and doing another so I I think when you trust people and you've spent time with them and you've gone through some difficult situations with them you can trust that they'll they'll do the right things with with the team when you're not there And and I think that's really important
0: You've also been with uh, Clive Bentick for a while. What is Clive meant to your program?
1: Uh, he, he's a salt of the earth human being. I mean, he, um, you know, he, he, I didn't really know Clive that well when I got the job, uh, but I knew he was associated with good people. I know Brian hired him. I trust Brian uh, and, you, you know, his college coach, Mike McDonald. And he's just, he, he comes from, you know, being around good people. and he, he's a really good person. And, and I believe he's a great role model for our kids. You know, he's from the city. He played. He coached. Uh, his values are correct. Uh, he, he teaches the kids the right things. He's got an excellent basketball mind. And he, he's just the guy you want to be around your program and, and be in the foxhole week.
0: Now we're going to go back a little further and uh, you're very unique because based off all your playing and your coaching, you haven't really left the five boroughs at all, whether it be at Bishop Ford, St. Agnes, Queens college, New York city, tech, St. Francis, St. John's and back at St. Francis, going back to your playing days, we, we learned a little bit about you as a coach, but what was Glenn Brankett like as a high school basketball player?
1: Well, I started my, my high school career at St. Agnes high school in Manhattan, a small boys school it was located on, I believe, 44th Street between Lex and 3rd. Um, and midway through, I, you know, after my sophomore year, I transferred to Bishop Ford and uh, had an opportunity to play there. It was a great time in, in high school basketball. You had so many great players, so many guys who went on to be pros and, and great college players. Uh, the competition was fierce, and it was a lot of fun uh, growing up in that era. Uh, then I went on to play at Queens College. And we made the transition. Uh, I think my first year was the first year we were in Division II. Uh, and we built the program. You know, we started out, weren't very good our first year, and then progressively got better second, third, and fourth year. And, and wound up making it to the conference finals in our, in our senior year. Unfortunately, we lost the CW Post, who had a terrific team. But I, I thought we really helped put that program on the map and, and in Division Two, and, and made it a really respectable program. Now, playing high school basketball
0: in the Catholic High School League, which is one of the toughest toughest leagues, is that from an early age where you learned to balance your schoolwork and also playing in one of the best basketball conferences in the uh, country?
1: Yeah, I mean it was it was a great league. I mean you had guys like just in Brooklyn, you had Chris mullen Mont Jackson. I mean so many great players. um And um, you know it was a great time to play high school basketball. I mean you had legitimate pros, guys who went on to have great professional careers playing in the league and uh the PSAL was very strong as well so it was a great time to play um you made so many friendships you know lifelong friends that you're you're still close with today there's a certain bond between guys from that era I believe and you know guys who you really you know it was very competitive back then and fierce and you know, it's not like today with the social media. We knew each other, but we didn't really know each other. We didn't really hang out unless you stayed with your own guys. But now, like when you see guys, it's like you know, you talk to them like you've known them for thirty years, and you have, but you never really socialized with them in the past. But uh, it's it's really a bond between guys that played then. Uh, as far as balancing the the schoolwork and the and the basketball, you know, we were taught at a young age uh, when we got to high school. We had strict coaches. And uh, they really, you know, they held you accountable. Uh, and if you didn't do your schoolwork, you didn't play. And most guys had a little more interest in playing than they did in schoolwork. So they, they did the schoolwork in order to play. Um, but we, you know, I always tell guys, you gotta get a degree. It, it's gonna open doors for you. Uh, I believe every kid that's played for us for four years has graduated. That's something we're very proud of. We don't want guys just passing through and, and playing ball and not, not getting a degree. I mean. Look, at that age, a lot of times you don't really know what you're interested in. You don't even know what the degrees will lead to. Um, but what, you, what I know is you need that degree to open doors and to make your life better. So that's what I tell kids. And, you know, we, we make sure that guys get their degree. It's been instilled in me since I was younger. And I believe it's my job to instill it in the guys we coach
0: then you go to Queens college and you develop a uh, friendship with uh, Norm Roberts, who when the coach St. John's, how was your relationship with Norm and uh, how did that lead to you getting that job at St. John's?
1: Well, it's great. You know, me and Norm played four years together at Queens. Uh, Well, I thought, well, we're friends since college. Um, And we're still friends today. You know, we probably talk three or four times a week. Um, So it was funny, you know, I knew he was interviewing for the job. Um, He had told me, you know, he might get it. And then there were some things in the paper that said somebody else was getting it. And I, I didn't know what to think, but you know, I was holding a workout when I was an assistant at St. Francis. And I got a call from Norm and he goes, you know, I'm in New York. He goes, "Uh, can I come over and stop by and see him? And uh, I guess they interviewed him. They were wonderful family from the, I believe they lived in the West Village, the Taffners. who were just great people. They were they were big supporters of St. John's, uh, wonderful people. And I guess they interviewed him at, at their house because they didn't want any media coverage and stuff like that. And I get Norm's not great with direction, so I don't even know how he found the place, but he um, he told me he wanted to meet. So he came by to, the practice and I introduced him to the team. And then we went to the lunch and he goes, Look, he goes, I'm gonna get this. He goes, Are you ready? You're gonna come? And I was like, I was kind of caught off guard and it just kind of happened really quickly and uh then we went there and it was just it was a total rebuild we really probably only had like one or two division two division one players when we got there it was it was a mess uh but i thought Norm did a great job of stabilizing the program dealing with the probation from you know what went on before he got there and and just kind of getting the thing right and and instilling the right values in the program and uh you know, it was a fun time, it was it was a trying time because we never really got a chance to enjoy it. It was a lot of hard work uh, in building it up, uh, but I, I think that the program's better for it.
0: You didn't really get to enjoy it, but what was that like? You didn't leave the five boroughs and you were able to coach at Madison Square Garden and in Queens as well. What was it like enjoying that journey while
1: still at home? Look, you know, it, it's it's not something most people get a chance to do. In this business, you usually got to pack up and you know, move around the country, um, you know, I had a great life, you know, you know, even after college, and you know, I was, I had all my friends, you know, I was coaching, um, I, I taught and coached for a while prior to becoming full-time, but I had a great life, I had all my buddies and family, and I never had to leave that, and uh, basically, you know, when I when I've worked at St. Francis, I get on the expressway going a couple of exits one way. And when I was at St. John's, I got on the expressway, went a couple of exits the other way. So um, it was very, very, you know, odd to be able to do that in this day and age of coaching. Um, but, it, you know, I, I've been fortunate. I've been fortunate to be able to do that, to be able to do it in my hometown. Uh, you know, I have so many friends and family here. Uh, it, it's been rewarding.
0: Started coaching uh, back in 1988 at New York City Tech. How did that come about? And when did you realize you wanted to coach college basketball or basketball in
1: general? You know, I always wanted to coach. I probably, you know, I, I probably missed, the, missed coaching high school. I would have liked to have done that as well. I think you can get to the kids a little earlier, help them achieve their goals. But it's funny, you know, when I graduated from Queens College, um, we used to have great runs on Thursday night in, in the gym up there. And we had really good players and it was a lot of fun. And uh, m- my old assistant coach, uh, Mike Eisenberg, may he rest in peace. You know, he passed away, unfortunately, uh, at a young age. Great guy. Um, came to watch one of the runs on Thursday night. And he said he was, you know, going to become the coach of New York City Tech. So he said, he said, uh, I said, really? I said, you need an assistant? He goes, yeah. He goes, you want the job? I said, yeah. He goes, you're hired. <laughs> so that was it. And, uh, you know, I spent a few years with him at Queens where he was the assistant. We have become good, you know, close. And uh, he was just just a great guy. And, uh, you know, it just went from there. And then, uh, you know, spent a the year there, had a great time. We had some great guys and, and really enjoyed it.
0: Who are your
1: biggest influences that impacted your career? Uh, you know, there's so many, I I think everyone who's coached me, uh, you know, my first high school coach, John Conboy, another guy unfortunately passed away tragically, very young. Uh, he instilled a lot of things in me both on and off the court. And, you know, when you're younger, you know, I think the first person to get to you, if they're going to teach you the right things is really important. And he didn't, he didn't tell me what I wanted to hear every time he told me, you know, what I needed to hear. And, uh, instilled the work ethic and, and really showed an interest in me and, and helped me become a, a decent player. And, and, you know, I always kind of valued that, you know, with regard to what he did for me and try to, you know, relay that on to some other kids. Uh, obviously, Ronnie Ganuelen, um you know, really taught me how to coach. I mean, he taught me, you know, not to accept anything less than <clears throat> what a kid could give you. Uh, to be demanding and, and to try to get the most out of what you you do um, and rich devosick who hired me originally uh, at saint francis uh, also gave me my starting coaching um so there's so many people ray nash i mean I, you know I, I don lezak my college coach i don't want to leave anyone out there, there's just so many guys who and, and i think you know that have impacted me And the best tribute I can give them is to try and pass it along to other people. When our guys graduate every year, I tell them, if you can pass along some of the things you've learned here to other people, that would be probably the most satisfying thing to me. And, uh, only because, you know, I think I've done that with regards to some other people helping me out.
0: Then We mentioned you got to stay home for your whole career, but one of the cool parts of the job is you get to travel, get to see some historic gyms and, play some nationally ranked teams or see some historically good teams that you see on TV all the time. Do you have a
1: favorite gym that you've coached in? You know, I guess, you know, we were at St. John's playing at Duke was special. Um, you know, they're, they're tough on you, the fans there, but they do it in a way that's really classy. And, you know, they make up these sheets before the game and, you know, it's kind of clever stuff with that. They get on you about and the kids about it. It's not really berating you. But it, it's kind of classy and, and kind of clever. And uh, just the atmosphere there is just incredible. Um, so I think that would be one place. Uh, also, um, you know, we almost beat Syracuse in the dome uh, one year when I was the head coach at St. Francis. And we had, we had the lead up until about a minute to go. And I think they were ranked number one in the country that year for about six weeks. That was incredible. I really thought we had a chance to win it. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they I think they took the lead with about 30 seconds left in the game or something like that. And that obviously, when you when you can silence 25,000 people for about 38 minutes, 39 minutes, that's that's a pretty rewarding uh, experience. But that that's an incredible place as well. But, uh, you know, I've been pretty obviously the garden. The garden is a special place. And, and when it's packed and and, and it's rocking, there, there's no place like it. So. You know, I would say those three places. I'm probably missing a few. Um, You know, our gym's been. You know, I mean that playoff run we had a couple of years ago, when we went to the finals. I've never seen an atmosphere like that. I I don't even think Duke was like that. Um, That was just incredible. I mean, the school did a great job. We had the kids under the basket. I mean, you couldn't get a ticket. Our friends calling me, telling me they're calling ticket brokers. <laughs> brokers don't have <laughs> these tickets. So it was uh, – that might have been the the greatest atmosphere I've ever seen in college basketball.
0: When I was at that Syracuse game, which is really cool. I was sitting behind one of the baskets, and that just describes your brand of basketball. You play for every stop. You play hard-nosed defense. You take care of the ball, and you had a chance to be the top team in the nation. Also, that 14-15 run was unbelievable. A lot of fun yeah. to be part of. You mentioned your friends with Norm earlier. And, uh, as a coach, you watch a lot of film. Do you follow the NCAA? I'm sure during your time coaching, it's hard to focus other than your team and teams are going to be playing down the road, but during your free time, do you watch games?
1: Yeah. It's kind of hard as a head coach though. When I was an assistant, you know, if you had a scout, you might not have another scout for two weeks. So you'd have a chance to relax a little bit and, and watch some other games. Um, You know, as a head coach, it's hard because you go from one game to the next and you got to be on top of everything. So you're constantly watching tape during the season. And sometimes the last thing you want to do is watch a game. But, uh, you know, select games. You know, my friends, I like to watch them. You know, if Kansas is on, I watch them. You know, as well as some of my other friends in the business and root for them. But it's just it's, it's time consuming. It's difficult during the season. You know, I actually wish I had more time to do that. We're going to switch gears again
0: in the last topic. Uh, people don't know you're a really big New York Mets fan. So uh,
1: <laughs> what do you look forward to going to this Mets uh, season? You know, I, I don't think they're the perfect team, but I think they're close. And uh, I think they have some some great players, probably the best position players they've ever had. If you look at it, I mean, they probably have two possible all-star level first baseman I love McNeil at second Lindor obviously one of the best players in the game uh you know I think we'll be okay at third and catcher and and the outfield I love Nemo I love the way he plays the game and Conforto and you know I I think they're close I mean I I wish they would have re-signed Wheeler and not traded Kelenic but uh you know I think moving forward I think the right people are in place and I think um if you look at their young players in the minor leagues, they're very strong up the middle in what's, you know, going to be coming to the major leagues in the next five years. And um, I think if you're building a team and you can do that, um, and you can be good offensively and defensively up the middle, uh, there's a good chance that you're going to be successful. And I think they have some really top prospects at the catcher position, shortstop, obviously, if they uh, re Lindor, and uh, in center field. And I I think that bodes well for what's going to come in the future.
0: Every fan has a story. What's your story becoming a Met fan? Was it an influence or is it
1: just something you started watching and enjoyed? You know, I just love baseball growing up. I mean, I would go around the corner. We lived in a neighborhood where, you know, back in the the 80s, 70s, there was a lot of abandoned factories. You know, New York wasn't booming like it is now. A lot of those places are restaurants and condos now, but really – a lot of our neighborhood was a lot of abandoned factories. So what we would do is we would, I would literally go around the corner and throw the ball off the, the wall and make believe I was Bud Harrelson, you know, for like eight hours on a Saturday. So, and then, you know, we played constantly. We played a, uh, we called it sponge ball. You know, you had a strike box on the wall and then you would pitch from one side of the street and the other guy would hit on the other side of the street. So you know, and you'd break windows and whatever else. But, it, you know, nobody cared because the places were abandoned. And, the, you know, first first floor was a single, second floor was a double, third floor was a triple, and so on. So um, we just constantly played baseball. My neighbor was probably more of a baseball neighborhood than a basketball neighborhood until we got older. Um, but we constantly played, and I loved the Mets. I was, you know, my father was a Dodger fan you know, he wasn't going to raise me a Yankee fan. So, you know, the Mets kind of took over for the Dodgers and, uh, I just love the Mets. I can remember, you know, Tom Seaver and, you know, Jerry Kuzman and John Matlack and Rusty Stubb. And it it was just unbelievable. And I think in some ways I like St. Francis because the Mets were always the underdog team, you know? And I said that when we made that run, you know, we're, we're not the Yankees. We're the Brooklyn Dodgers, you know, we're, we're the underdogs. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, I've loved the Mets my whole life. You know, I've been some lean years, some good years, but uh, just a big Mets fan and and really looking forward to the future with, you know, watching them and stuff. I actually watch more baseball on TV than basketball because we're so consumed during the season with our own stuff. It's hard to watch other teams and stuff. But, you know, once the spring comes and your season's over, you can come home at night and watch the Mets every night. It's, it's kind of fun. It's kind of relaxing. So I look forward to a, to a good year from them.
0: And was Bud Harrelson your favorite player growing up?
1: Nah, I, I mean, I love Bud Harrelson. He wasn't a great hit at all. But uh, Tom Seaver probably was, uh, you know, as close. To, I never really had an idol. But close to that is, you know, when when I was growing up, he was, he was phenomenal. And uh, just the way he carried himself, the way he pitched. He wasn't always on great teams. But, like, you knew you were going to get, you know, eight innings, one run was a bad day for him. You know, this, he was just phenomenal. He was great. Ten strikeouts, you know, back when guys didn't strike out every time up. So, you know, watching Jacob DeGrom, no, I never thought I would see another guy, you know, come close to what Seaver did. But I'll tell you, DeGrom is, is really something. I mean, he, he is, you know, for this day and age, he's phenomenal. He really is tremendous pitching.
0: The final question, we mentioned how you spent your most of your life in New York City. Do you have a favorite part about living in New York City?
1: uh you know i liked the way we grew up i liked the the things that that we did you know it wasn't always the greatest place it wasn't the safest place but i thought it was a lot of fun i wouldn't trade that in for anything the experiences the places that we went the things that we saw the things that we did um i think now it's a lot safer and it's a lot you know, they've they've developed some areas that, you know, back in the day weren't really developed. I, I, I kind of like to see something in between. I don't really like it the way it is now as much as I did back then, but there are a lot of things that are better now that, than they were back, you know, 20, 30 years ago. I, I think if, if we could get something in the middle, it would be ideal.
0: Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I mean, one of my favorite things is to go to St. Francis' Work a game, see the way your teams play, and then no matter win or lose, the press conference always has something to take with you. So, and also I forgot to mention, I was a basketball manager for Coach my freshman year, so one of the first people I got to serve at the Division One level, and someone I really look up to. So it's really a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Well, we're proud of you, Patrick. I appreciate you having me on, and it's great to have you at St. Francis and to be part of the family. I, I think the school's legacy is is built on people like yourself who really identify with the place, love the place and, uh, you know, lifelong, you know, terriers. So, you know, we're proud of you. And uh, we look forward to many great things in the future from you. And and also for you to carry on that legacy uh, as other people have in the past. Thank you, coach. That means a lot. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me on. Okay. And I will see you soon. And who do, you, who do you owe everything to? <laughs> we got it without Dan Nigro. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. All right, Pat. Have a great day, okay? You too, Coach. Take care. Bye-bye. We'd like
0: to thank head coach of St. Francis, Brooklyn, Glenn Branca, for coming on and sharing his stories of his career, being with the Terriers and also being a giant New York Mets fan. Uh, also, we'd like to thank you for your support of the Pat McCormick Podcast Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we'll see you next time.